Thank you for listening to the podcast for Burlingame United Methodist Church, located in Burlingame, California. Each week, we will share a sermon by Reverend Ann Duncan. Thank you for joining us on our journey through the Bible. Hi, I'm Kathleen, and the scripture reading this morning is the first words from the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Hear these words from John. A revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Christ made it known by sending it through his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the witness of Jesus Christ, including all that John saw. Favored is the one who reads the words of this prophecy out loud, and favored are those who listen to it being read and keep what is written in it, for the time is near. May God add blessing to this reading. Thank you, Kathleen. How is the world going to end? Do you ever think about the end of the world? Or do you prefer not to think about the end of the world? That's me. Nuclear war started in Ukraine. Global warming that will create a mass extinction. An asteroid striking the Earth. There's a whole industry of books and movies and pundits who like to talk about how the world might end. This past week, you might have seen in the news that NASA sent a satellite crashing into an asteroid to determine if it was possible in the event that a meteorite might come one day towards the Earth and that we need to change its direction in order to save the Earth from destruction. People are thinking about the end of the world. How is the world going to end? Speaking of endings, we are close to the end of our over-year-long study that we have called A Journey Through the Bible. Over a year ago, we began with that very first book in the Bible, Genesis, and those words, In the Beginning. For the last year and a few months, you have journeyed with me. And now we come to this last book, Revelation. It is about the end of the world. It is about a new creation. Genesis and Revelation stand at the bookends of the Bible. Today, we turn to Revelation. As I told the kids, I'll be preaching on this book for two Sundays. Revelation speaks to a deep personal need that we all have. We want to know what the future holds for us, for our loved ones, for our world. We often live in fear of the present and the future. Our fears might be personal, financial crisis, family strife, serious illness, or death. Our fears might be global, war climate change, pandemics. 
Our fears might be pure speculation, an alien invasion, an exploding sun. But you understand some of these fears. We live with fear. And so we turn to this book, Revelation, that actually frightens quite many people. The author, John, felt fear immensely. Fifty years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, John lived in a deeply troubled society. While Christianity had begun to grow across the Roman Empire, the church still only consisted of a couple of hundred churches, a few thousand Christians. It was small compared to the Roman Empire. At this time, around the year 95 AD, 95 AD, the Roman Emperor Domitian required that all persons in the empire call him Lord and God. Lord and God. And Roman soldiers would carry a statue of the emperor to each community and required people to pledge their allegiance to Domitian and to call him their Lord and God. However, for Christians who saw Jesus as their Lord, when they would refuse, they would be persecuted, they would be executed. John, as a Christian leader, went into hiding for fear from the Roman soldiers. He found a cave on which to hide on an island called Patmos. Patmos is in the middle of the Aegean Sea. It's between Greece and Turkey. The small, inaccessible island was deserted. There was no Christian congregation there. Hiding in this cave, John had a vision. And he wrote out his vision as a letter to his Christian friends. He wrote it out of fear to a fearful people. John's vision that we know today as the book of Revelation has inspired many vivid images. The four horsemen of the apocalypse, the number 666, and the streets of heaven paved with gold. Many people interpret Revelation differently. Some persons believe that Revelation describes a literal future and use John's vision as a foundation of their faith. There are whole denominations that base their entire belief system on the book of Revelation. Millions of people have read the Left Behind series of books to find modern-day clues about the end of creation. When you go shopping, you may see grocery store tabloids with sensational statements about Revelation and the end times. Someone sees something in this letter and compares it to something happening in our world today. I simply opened the CNN website on Tuesday, this past Tuesday, and saw this headline. This is from this past Tuesday. For some Christians, rapture anxiety can take a lifetime to heal. As I read the article, these are Christians who grew up in churches that stressed that the rapture was coming they need not be left behind, but it caused great trauma in their lives. And there may be others of you here this morning who have found the book so confusing, so obscure, so absurd and incomprehensible that you really haven't ever given it another thought. So as we've been doing in our journey through the Bible and through these letters in particular that make up most of the New Testament, 
I want us to look at that historical context again for John's revelation. Revelation, again, was speaking to a fearful people in a corrupt society. The whole of his culture in John's eyes was filled with evil and intent on destroying Christians. John feared that the church of Jesus Christ would collapse as Christians abandoned their faith in the midst of persecution. John was scared that the churches that existed, the Christians who lived in 95 A.D., would abandon their faith. The church would die in the midst of persecution. So in response to this fear, John wrote to these Christians. John believed an angel of God had instructed him to write to Christians in seven small churches in Asia Minor. Each of these congregations had strengths, yet each was also in danger of falling away from the faith. The churches were Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, and they all are in modern-day Turkey. John accused these Christians of not being strong enough in the face of persecution. He called his fellow Christians passionless, too tolerant, too compromising, dead, and even arrogant. John used very strong language and imagery that at first can be quite stunning and probably turn a lot of us away from reading any further. But it's important also to remember that this style of literature was not new in the Bible. Almost two-thirds of the verses in Revelation can be found throughout the Old Testament in the Hebrew Bible. And Jesus even talked about the end times. He talked about what might come at the end of creation. John was taking some traditions that he was familiar with, some teachings he was familiar with, and created this poetic picture book with strange symbols and cryptic numbers, bright colors, wild beasts, and a dramatic struggle between good and evil. Have you heard about these four horsemen of the apocalypse? I don't know about you, but that looks pretty scary to me. Here's what it says in chapter 6 of Revelation. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and the white rider was given a crown. And the white rider rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the lamb opened the second seal, another horse came out, a fiery red one. The red rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people slay one another. To the red rider was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, there was a black horse. The black rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand, saying, Famine everywhere. And when the lamb opened the fourth seal, there was a pale horse. And the pale rider was named Death. And Hades was following close behind Death. The four horsemen were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by wild beast. These four horsemen of the apocalypse signify a world gone mad. John was literally describing the current mad Roman emperor, bent on waging war against Christians, creating famine, 
and killing anyone who opposed him. And those four horsemen of war and violence and famine and death are still a part of our, our world today. There's still things that we know we can identify with that. We witness wars, dictators seeking power, children starving and diseases spreading. We could live in fear. We can live in fear because there is much to be fearful of. And yet, in the midst of this madness, John also saw hope. John foresaw a powerful God judging the world and all people, and God's judgment would result in an everlasting reward for the faithful. God would intervene and transform the world. God would intervene and transform the world. The climax of history is solely, completely, and uniquely in the hands of God. As a sign of God's intervention, John retold the birth of Christ. And I'm reading to you from chapter 12. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. The woman was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. The woman gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. And her child, Jesus Christ, was taken by God to his throne. John is reminding the fearful Christians this moment about Jesus Christ. God's child was born in a land occupied by the Romans. The child became a man, challenged by authorities, and was put to death. By suffering and death by the Romans, it had not, however, been triumphant. Jesus rose from the dead, and John reminds them that he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. But Jesus Christ's ascension into heaven was not the end of God's ultimate plan for creation. Because John was now pointing to Christ's return at the end of history. I have to tell you that this week I told Lena that I was preaching on Jesus coming back. And she goes, well, he came back from the grave. And I said, yeah, but then he comes back again. And she was not familiar with this. Um, so it was interesting to me, too, that sometimes we sort of skip over this part. Or what's to come? Or it's hard to imagine. But I want us to think about that hope in the face of fear. At the end of this description in chapter 19, there is this battle of Armageddon. I want to read that briefly, but then I'm going to go back to this part of hope. It's a terrible war, and we read these words. Then I, John, saw the evil beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider, Jesus Christ on the horse and Christ's army. But the beast was captured and with the beast, the false prophet. The beast and the false prophet were thrown into a lake of burning sulfur. But then we come to the new heaven and the new earth, the part that the kids heard today in that storybook Bible. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first earth and first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. 
And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them, they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne says, See, I am making all things new. At the end of his vision, John has comforting words, encouraging words for fearful saints. He has this message of redemption and hope. John is clearly affirming that the church will survive, that the saints will be victorious, and God in Jesus Christ will reign forever. And in the next sermon, I want to focus more on this new creation. But I want to share before we move to communion a story with you that summarizes for me the essential message of Revelation. A father had just put his young daughter to bed. She asked him to stay for a few moments. She wasn't ready for him to leave. Those of us who have children know how that works. One more sip of water. One more story before bed. And so he lay down beside her in the bed, told her to shut her eyes and to fall asleep. They lay there in the darkness. But after a few moments, he felt a little hand on his face, touching his eyes and touching his nose, touching his mouth and his ears, stroking his arm. And he said, what are you doing? You need to go to sleep. And she said, I just want to make sure that you're still here. I want to feel your face towards me. In the darkness, she needed that assurance that her father was with her. John's revelation reminds us that in the darkness of our world, God has not forgotten God's people. John reassured those early Christians that God was with them. In the darkness of our own personal lives, in the shadows of crises in our community, in our nation, in our world, God's face is also turned towards you and me. God's face is right there for us. Thanks be to God. Amen. As we move into